Hello and welcome to Dior Common Thread. In this series, we'll explore the constellation of creatives around Kim Jones, Dior Men's Artistic Director, who has masterminded some of the most dynamic and exciting collaborations in fashion. I am Ed Tang, co-founder of Art Bureau, a New York and Hong Kong-based art advisory, and now your host. In each episode of this show, I'll be bringing you conversations with some of the artists who have collaborated with Kim at Dior. From art and fashion to nature and technology, we'll discuss their influences, creative process, and everything else. Literally making waves in the fashion world, today's guest is Eli Russell Lynette. His hip, independent fashion label, ERL, just debuted a co-branded runway collection with Kim Jones, the first in Dior's history. The show took place in Venice Beach, California, bringing together the worlds of fashion, music, film, art, and skateboarding. The multi-talented, multifaceted Eli has moved effortlessly through these worlds in his career so far, from directing music videos for Kanye West to designing sets for Lady Gaga, photographing A-listers, including Naomi Osaka and the Biebers, and dressing music stars like ASAP Rocky for the Met Gala. Eli has certainly carved out an impressive resume in a short span of time. I am very excited to be speaking with him for today's episode. Eli, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Well, first of all, congratulations. You're fresh off the runway. We're a week out from your show in Venice mm-hmm. Beach, the Dior ERL Capsule 2023 Spring Collection. How are you feeling? That, it was actually my first runway show. Uh, yeah, it still feels like a dream a bit. Yeah. And you haven't stopped since then? No, no. Let's talk about <laughs> the, sh- the show. You know, the, yeah. the collection was titled California Couture. I was in LA for the show yeah. and I was in awe of the looks. It was edgy and relaxed, flamboyant and luxurious all at the same time. I love the juxtaposition of the fuchsias and the lilacs and the teals with the loose silhouettes. Um, with Kim, uh, I would never have guessed it was your first show, but together with Kim, you sent 41 outfits down the runway in front of an audience, including Michael B. Jordan, um, Henry Golding, Christina Aguilera, and Rita Ora. It was remarkably buzzy. Were you able to soak it in or enjoy it? It was super exciting. So me and Kim were backstage watching the show. Actually, did sink. it did sink in a bit. I I have to admit, I'm, I don't really let things sink in in general. <laughs> so for me, it was, it was a bit surreal. But at the same time, I actually was able to soak it in a bit. Um, it's... Some things in life feel like a dream, but also when you put so much work into it, there's a bit of grounding that happens through the process. So I was able to enjoy it because I, I felt connected to the experience, I guess. Yeah, and it, it was a big moment. Um, and, you know, yeah, it's a first for Dior to do such a high-profile co-branded collection and, and really quite pioneering. Yeah, they've never had a co-designer before. Yeah, I mean, it's it's also pioneering on their end to give such power and freedom to young designer and so openly embrace young talent. Did you feel empowered or somewhat daunted by the proposition when you first started this conversation with Dior and Kim? No, I was super excited. Many of my experiences and a lot of the jobs I have to take on are often limiting my creativity. And this was actually the first job, which you might not think would be the case with such a high profile uh, project and company, Mm -hmm. but this was actually the most free uh, free I've ever felt. 
So how did it all begin? Were you already friends with Kim or did you just unexpectedly get a call one day? Yeah, we actually have a lot of uh, mutual friends. Our main mutual friend is Ronnie Newhouse, right. who's done most of the creative for Kim's campaigns. And I think she just kind of bothered him enough times <laughs> to the point where he was like, I can't take this anymore. I'm just going to pick up my phone and ring him. <laughs> so we actually had about a, a 45 second conversation where he rang me up. He said, do you want to do this? I said, yes. And I think it was the next week or the week after the whole Dior team came and we designed the whole collection at my studio in Venice. And that's all it took, 45 seconds. <laughs> yeah, that was it. <laughs> uh, well, of course, through, you know, Ronnie Newhouse, a longtime yeah. friend and collaborator of Kim. Speaking of Kim, who is the artistic director of Dior Men's, yeah. you know, he has said that he thought it would be nice to work with younger designers he admired yeah. and to give them a platform. In the interview with WWD, he said, you know, talking to all the people that I know that have gone through the pandemic and being independent, it's been difficult. So I thought it was a nice way to support people and also glean a bit of how they're working. It gives us the capacity to do something in a different way than we'd work on as Dior. Talk to me about being independent. How important is that to you? It's everything. And I actually think that's why people have responded so much to ERL. After I graduated, I actually went to film school. So I went to USC for screenwriting. And after I graduated, I found myself directing music videos because my real passion was always directing, um, not just writing. And, you know, before I know it, I was doing music videos for... Uh, Kanye West, and I started directing some of his stage tours. And being independent is super important for me. Um, it was actually one of the reasons I started ERL. Um, I had been working for other people for so long, including Kanye West and Lady Gaga, and so many high-profile people that have such a their own message in life. You know what's important to them. So I feel like I actually wanted to escape that when I created ERL. Um, so I basically started from nothing. I wasn't really even trying to start any sort of brand or make anything anyone wanted to wear. I was just kind of trying to discover something for myself and in my own space, in my bubble in Venice Beach. And to take charge of, of what yeah, you Yeah, yeah. I kind of wanted to take charge of my destiny. And I, I kind of got into fashion photography and was doing a bunch of campaigns. And I actually was just really disappointed with all the clothes I was being forced to photograph. And it just started like eating away at me and I didn't really understand it. And I actually think that naivete is one of the reasons I've found success. There's so many things and rules that people live their life by in, in the fashion industry that I actually just had no idea about that what I was doing felt authentic and different from what everyone else was doing. On top of being creative, you must also be entrepreneurial. You founded ERL in 2018 and starting a brand or, in fact, any other business takes confidence and ambition. What made you take the plunge? Yeah, I think one of the reasons I found success and even most of the people I admire, like Kim, are, are big risk takers. Um, I just have, it's just my approach of life, I guess. Maybe just being from Venice Beach in California, I don't really think too many steps ahead. I really go with the flow and just go and live based on my intuition of what feels right. Um, I was at a time when I had been working a bit at easy and just surrounded by so much fashion. And, um, I mean, as a kid, I, of course, I always was drawing dress designs and that sort of thing. And when I went to college, I, um, worked at the costume shop at the opera department, uh, actually to pay my tuition. So I had so many 
glimpses into the fashion world. I always loved research, watching documentaries about fashion. So it was your world already and it just happened quite organically. Yeah, it already was my world. I just kind of, yeah, it's like sometimes it's, it's like when your mom asks you to clean your room, it sometimes takes you like 10 years to want to clean your room <laughs> yourself, you know? So I think yeah. it was just like something that was in, that I wanted to do, but I never really had, sometimes when you're working with people like Kanye or Gaga, you're, you're running so fast, you don't really have time to think about anything really. You're just going, going, going. So I finally had a moment where I forced myself into this moment of silence and started creating stuff for me. I, it didn't even necessarily have to be clothing. I, I really was just wanted to create something for myself. It could have been a painting, a sculpture, uh, some personal photography projects. But I was speaking with Adrian Jaffe from Comme de Garçon. And what started off as me just making a t-shirt for the opening of Dover Street Market LA turned into an entire brand. It's kind of interesting because I feel like everything now, and I think Kim has just spoken about how everything on the surface just feels like a brand. You often forget that these are actually artistic visions coming from individual people. Um, totally. Everything is so commer- everything's so commercialized. When I started creating ERL, I was like, wait, is, is am I doing something wrong? Does it matter? And I, just, I actually just stopped questioning it, but you kind of forget that these houses were created from individual people who had something to say and a view of the world they felt wasn't existing in the world. And it was their way of expressing themselves. This aptitude for hustle seems like it started early for you. You also went on to email designers, I've read, with you know fake resumes yeah. and, and sketches. Yeah. Did anyone respond or give you any words of encouragement? Uh, what were your goals and aspirations in those early days? Yeah, no, absolutely no one responded. Which probably just happened oh. <laughs> to the fuel. <laughs> I, <laughs> right. Um, no, it's really funny because now I work with a lot of the people that I've emailed. Like, you know, for example, I mean, who knows if they didn't respond? I probably wasn't even emailing the right people. I just had such a. I bet they're responding be... now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, now, now I'm not responding to them. No, I'm just <laughs> um, no, no, but just the people like Mark. <laughs> yeah, no, people like, you know, Mark Jacobs or Tom Ford, like these are just people I interact with. And so it was funny. I just remember in high school, I, I just had this desire to be a part of this world. You know, I would watch YouTube videos. And yeah. so I just had this desire to be a part of it. I didn't know what I wanted to be a part of. And it's actually so funny. Like now it's so different what I originally imagined fashion to be. Um, you know, when I started ERL, I didn't know anything about uh, the commercial side of thing. I didn't know anything about sales. I didn't know anything about factories or production, um, which I've quickly learned and even working with Kim it was sort of this master class at how to run a fashion house well which brings me to my next question you know obviously since the birth of ERL um, mm-hmm. these have been five years full of change um, not mm-hmm. just for yourself but for the, the world mm-hmm. much of which we couldn't possibly have predicted tell me mm-hmm. one thing that you thought would happen in terms of your business that didn't and something that has happened, which totally took you by surprise. Mainly, I was just surprised that during the pandemic, I actually think when it started, inherently, there's this sense of fear, but I've just never lived my life that way. And also Adrian Joffe from Comme de Garçon and Dover Street, he just kind of kept moving forward with business as usual. And so it was pretty inspiring. I Actually, ERL was really grew during the pandemic. I think people were kind of feeling dismal at home. And I think a lot of the colors and patterns and prints were something very exciting. And, you know, people wanted uplifting to express well. themselves. Yeah, and super uplifting. Um, 
it's funny for someone that's so pessimistic like me. Uh, I think there's an <laughs> optimism t- to the clothes I make. Um, maybe that's my my moment where I get to be optimistic well, about the world. Yeah, it's not also just the clothes that it is that is optimistic. It's an act of optimism to run your own business. You know, how are you maintaining mm-hmm. that five years in, and and where do you want it to go? At this moment, ERL is just me and one other person, and then my sister works here as well. Um, you know, people like Kid Cudi or Rocky will come to the studio and they think I have like 75 employees, you know, so it's, it's pretty, I would have imagined that, that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's just me and one other person, you know, my background's in screenwriting. So when I'm telling the story of a collection, I actually am only based on the limitations of, you know, humans and factories and the realities of the world. I'm actually only able to tell a really small sliver of the actual story I'm I actually want to tell. So hopefully as ERL grows, I'm just able to tell more of the full picture of this California lifestyle, the family, you know, we have our kids line too. So for me, it's, it's just organically growing into bigger stories, touching more people. And Kim also said that you reminded him of himself when he had his own label. Oh, he said that. Yes, in an interview, he said that. How do yeah. you balance the commercial and the artistic then? You know, or in fact, any yeah. other aspect of your work? It's really funny. I actually don't think about the commercial aspect at all. I, I'm really focused on the artistic side. And I, I think because there's an honesty and integrity to the work I do, I think that's actually makes it commercial because everyone, you know, when someone can relate to, to film, it. Yeah. And it's like no matter where you come from, when you see a touching film, doesn't matter who you are, you you know it triggers something inside of you, and I think with ERL, there's such an honesty and open openness to what I'm creating that it really is commercial. You know, also just with all the pop stars I've I've worked with, I think there's a sense of iconography I do strive for while I'm creating a story, and a lot of what inspires me are the classic films that have lasted the test of time. You can see things online and feel this sense of what you have to be or what you should be. But often if you just come from a place of honesty, I, you know, even working in such high profile jobs with big musicians and stuff, you know, there's so many different types of people you meet, you can kind of lose yourself and who you are and what you stand for and what you want to say. I think when I kind of was leaving that whole world behind and trying to find something for myself, that's actually where I met Adrian or where I met Ronnie or, you know, eventually meeting Kim So being honest with myself and the story I want to tell actually opened up a more honest sense of the world, not something so bitter and pessimistic. There's so many people to compare yourself to. I mean, I I was, you know, I remember being younger and, you know, always feeling the need to overcompensate or, you know, lie about my achievements or exaggerate things, which I think is maybe just inherently about, you know, being younger but I feel like, you know, once in an inter- interview, I said, like, what happens when all the things you lied about come true? You know, where, where do you go from there? So, yeah, uh, I mean, it, I really felt like I was living in a film when I was backstage with Kim, you know, who's been so generous to really give me the keys to his kingdom. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a, a risk per se. Um, you know, we're both two artists that really respect each other's work. But when someone has such a, a high profile house that they're in charge of, you know, there's a lot on their shoulders. Also, it was just exciting that Dior and the people around him gave him that opportunity to take that risk. You know, I feel like Absolutely. actually some of the 
some of the smaller companies I worked for, they're similar to red tape and there's so many hoops to jump through. And it, it was just really beautiful to see actually at Dior how much freedom Kim has and how much they allow him to just to make decisions that really feel organic and intuitive to him. Most, yeah. if not all, your projects are collaborative by nature. Let's start with your graphic design work with Comte Garçon. Adrian Joffe, who mm-hmm. runs the brand, was an early champion of your work. You've also done mm-hmm. an enormous amount in music. For instance, you directed Kanye West's mm-hmm. famous and fade music videos. Mm-hmm. You produced music for Tayana Taylor and Kid Cudi. Mm-hmm. You've also designed sets for Lady Gaga's Enigma Tour. How did mm-hmm. you move from these worlds, you know, in, in and out of fashion and in and out of these worlds? Or do you yeah. see it as a, you know, seamless thing that yeah. you float through? No pun intended. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think something about being from California is this ease and a- approach to life. There's, I don't really live by many rules. You know, I'm very lucky. I live a pretty organic and intuitive, authentic lifestyle. And so for me, I always just did what felt right at the time. I feel like these are all just one language I'm speaking, and I just happen to be expressing myself in different mediums. I was just really being myself. And I actually think that's why a lot of these high profile musicians and you know, influential people wanted to work with me because I was always so honest with them. There's so many people that kind of just say what they want to hear. And, you know, maybe sometimes it was too much, but I always feel like I always said what was on my mind. Amongst many other things that you've done, you sang opera uh, in college. What is it about the opera that appealed or continues to appeal to you? Yeah, actually, it was really funny. I don't even know what what was going through my mind when I did that. (laughs) I guess I was first working at the costume shop and, you know, I was seeing all these people coming in and out and it was, it just felt like there was something exciting about what was going on and energy. When I then heard that they were auditioning people for the opera, you had to be in uh, the opera department. And I actually just went straight to the conductor of the opera and I completely made this up. I said, I, I heard, yeah, I heard, I know you guys have already cast the thing, but I heard you need more people. I would love to sing for you. And so I had brought Maria from West Side Story, the sheet music. So we were just in yeah. his office. He had a piano. And so he started playing for it. And he said, yeah, sure. Uh, great. And you're in opera. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think it was till like <laughs> weeks or months later that they found out I wasn't in the opera department. But, you know, by then I had just, you know, I had just kind of fit in. And it was this... I think it was an 800 page Wagner opera. And it's funny because it it, it was like a 200 old piece, but it was actually the United States premiere of it just because no one had ever performed it. It was one of his earlier works called Das Liebesverbot. Yes. And um, uh, yeah, so I I, I don't know. I just always kind of wasn't afraid to take a chance um, to go after something I wanted. Doesn't sound like it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I actually think, you know, I guess one of my biggest skills is not being afraid to ask, you know, when Kim and I were discussing how we wanted to present the collection, you know, he really said, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, I think we have to do a a runway show in Venice beach. And he's like, let's do it. So sometimes things that feel like rules aren't rules at all. There's walls that are built in our heads. So having agency to get things done. Since we're on the topic of operatic things, you mm-hmm. designed the widely publicized, upcycled, quilted cape for ASAP Rocky yeah, for the yeah. Met Gala in 2021. Yeah. It was an outfit that went viral. How did that moment impact you? Or did it not? To be honest, nothing, nothing really impacts me. I feel like I'm in <laughs> such a bubble that I create. 
if anything, it, it was just a really exciting moment to collaborate with Rocky. Um, and similar to Kim, you know, it's, it's a big risk for someone like that. Not really a risk, but it's, it's almost invigorating when someone like that is able to kind of see the world you're building and the story you're trying to tell and, you know, wants to work with you. I feel like I've met with so many high profile people and they're like, oh, we should do something together. We should do something together. And two years later, they're still saying it. But the moments that have really been the biggest moments, you know, maybe from the outside in my career have all happened with very quick decisions. You know, my 45 second call with Kim, you know, Rocky just came to my, my studio in Venice and I had that quilt lying on my couch and he said, I want to wear that. And the rest was history. Yeah, exactly. I, I, actually found this quote. It was like $35 in a thrift store. And there was just something very peculiar about it. I had seen so many quilts and this one felt so different. It's it's actually called a biscuit quilt. And the technique is so labor intensive. And I actually hate primary colors. So I was pretty intrigued because the quilt was sun bleached and damaged and it was all primary colors, which I really hate together. So I was intrigued at the fact that I wanted to buy something that I, I, I should inherently hate. Um, and, you know, my studio is rather empty. There's almost nothing in here. So when I put that on the couch, it kind of filled something inside of me. I wasn't really sure what it was. Um, and Rocky had wanted to work on some projects. And, you know, I was pretty protective over URL and I still am. So I said, you know, if you want to work with something, you can come all the way to my studio. And so he actually flew from New York. And Kim did that too, which you know speaks volumes to what it takes to actually make impactful moments in the world. A lot of people think that, oh, these are really contrived, planned things. And, you know, I think when people like this see something they like, they're, they really go for it. So Rocky was sitting here and he saw the quilt and he said, oh, I want to wear that. And I was, yeah, I just said, let's do it. I'm keen to know more about your approach to sustainability and ready-mades, perhaps. When I started ERL... I was in such desperation to almost express something that I hadn't been able to for so long or say something I wanted to. And and so I cleared out. I got a new studio. It was just a small, big open room. It's actually the room I'm sitting in right now. And I said, I want to start with something blank. You know, I you're often overwhelmed with so many influences or images we see every day. I really wanted to start with something blank and just kind of go out to the world, find objects, go to thrift stores, flea markets, and collect stuff that was important to me. And so I started finding all these objects, um, uh, Americana. I started quilting them together, patchworking them together. I photographed everything. I have this insanely well-detailed, organized archive of images of everything I've ever bought and everything in my house, like every silverware, everything. So uh, I'm kind of a freak that way. Um, (laughs) So I, so I, you know, I I printed out all the photos of everything I'd purchased. I cut it out. I started mixing it up uh, in little miniature versions of it. The world around me, which is inherently used and worn in, were the things that I was responding to because there's so much history and storytelling and character to each of them that sustainability and upcycling just makes more sense. Again, like that's uh, what I was referring to earlier when I said a naivete. I wasn't even thinking about production limitations or any of this sort of thing. And, you know, you start running into that when you try and expand and scale um, your collections and your ideas. Um, but the world I, I surround myself with, you know, I don't, I don't really, of course now I have to be really specific on what's in the stores and we're in almost 250 stores now. So 
Uh, wow. You really want to curate the experience when someone's going and seeing all your clothes next to each other on a rack. But Absolutely. for my art, for myself, for my art, I'm, you know, I'm really just drawn to collages and sculpture. And I don't really, of course, I have to consider it, but I mostly focused on being in my little bubble. And for me, I'm, I guess in a self selfish kind of way, I'm just more interested in understanding more of the stories I want to tell and letting that reach who it's supposed to reach. I'm not, you know, I'm not seeking out other people to kind of supplement what I'm already doing unless something felt really natural. You just mentioned working with Kim. And for Mm -hmm. this capsule collection, both of Mm -hmm. you looked through the Dior archives from 1990, which was during Gianfranco Ferre's time as artistic director at Dior. You said it was a part of the history of Dior that felt completely fresh. Uh, And what ways did you find it fresh? I'm a bit of a research geek. And, you know, that's one of the most exciting parts to me is really going into libraries and looking through books and images and really you know, just being and open objects. to anything that comes through objects, collecting things, you know, antiques. There's, I don't really have any rules when I'm starting a project or anything, you know, I, I really just go open with an open mind. And, you know, I, I said, like, I, I think some people might assume I might just be interested in the Galliano thing, which is so pop and so theatrical, hmm. but a lot of the pieces I was responding to, and especially after I saw the Dior exhibit was Gianfranco Ferre's archive. And I actually was just mainly intrigued in the fact that he was an architect he didn't come from a fashion background. He was self-taught. Um, there was something gaudy and maximalist that felt so wrong, uh, especially because <laughs> he was creating at the time of helmet laying. I was like, I want to explore this. You know, I often force myself to just do stuff. That- <laughs> and it felt right. <laughs> yeah. Like it just felt so wrong coming out of a pandemic to do something so maximalist that I was like, I, the provocateur in me was like, I just want to explore this. So that's where we started finding just amazing gold jewelry and gold chains and the volume and the color and the the embellishments and embroideries. Um, And we actually found one of our favorite pieces, which was the basis for a lot of the suiting, which was this suit, I believe it's from later, like 1994. It was a a suit called Diorella, which was such a charming name. And it was a padded downfilled bar jacket. And, you know, I do a lot of downfilled pieces. So I felt like it was the perfect um, mix of my world, Kim's world, Dior's world, which was something that was so specific. And uh, um, and that was really the exciting thing about working with Kim and Dior was uh, getting to explore the precision. You know, a lot of my previous work on stage design is, is so engineering based and it's so precise that ERL feels so much more chaotic, even though there is a precision and perfectionism to the chaos. So for me, that was actually the most exciting bit was working with Kim and the Atelier and the Savoir Faire. I'm quite obsessive about and, and was really excited about the precision that you're able to execute on, you know, from drawing to idea to, to the final product. You were, of course, mm-hmm. born in 1990. It was the age of MTV, pre-social media. The 90s seem to have been a common thread amongst our guests on this podcast, such as Peter Doig mm-hmm. in an earlier episode, and those who have also collaborated with Kim at Dior, Sean Stussy, Raymond Pettibon, for instance. Mm-hmm. It's not your generation per se, but it seems to have definitely shaped your aesthetics. What is it about the 90s that resonate with you, that feels current and interest to you at, at this time? I think possibly what it was, was, and what was even inspiring about the collection, which I took a lot of 
pieces from the year 1989 because I'm so intrigued by artwork that's created on the cusp of a new decade. I feel like there's something, this turning over of a new leaf that subconsciously happens, you know, or maybe it's just a, an invisible marker that we kind of create and can judge it looking backwards. Maybe it's not anything related to the year, but I was really intrigued by this coming into the, a new decade. And so I think the eighties, as we were kind of exploring was so maximalist that I think the absolute and decadent. Yeah. And decadent and obnoxious. The hair was so big and so much hairspray. There was so much embellishment. I feel like, uh, we were just looking for something more honest, more dirty, more nasty, which is inherently Venice Beach. So I feel like that in <laughs> itself was some, you know, something that Kim was so drawn to. You know, he talked about watching skate videos and always dreaming of California. And I think that there was a nasty honestness, you know, or search for honesty. You know, sometimes nothing's honest, but the search for honesty is honest. So, um, uh, I think that's maybe what, you know. Drew you to it. Yeah. Speaking of California, Tony Hawk, the legendary skateboarder, the legendary local icon, was also at your show. And he said after the event that you nailed it. How would you say skateboarding culture shaped your creative outlook growing up in Venice? Yeah, that was was super cool. And, you know, like we were showing him the skate shoes and, you know, he kind of gave his sign off, which, you know, felt really, (laughs) really cool it's inherent to the personality of someone that's from California and specifically Venice, you know, like my high school was a block from the beach. Everyone was always skating here, skating there. But if you're from the West, West side, you know, Santa Monica, Venice, you don't really leave that area. It's always just going, staying in your neighborhood, going to people's houses, um, hanging out with friends, skateboarding to people's homes, surfing on the weekends. So it's just how you get around. Your brand also is very much tied to Venice Beach. Is there anywhere else in the world that you'd like to live and work, perhaps? Um, I can't imagine living or working anywhere else. I I really just like being at home and really being in my studio and working. But to be honest, like a lot of my favorite people I've been meeting lately, like Ronnie and Kim, you know, they all live in England. And I really connected with Kim and there's so many people on this team that are from London as well that I there's such a, a dry pessimism and humor to people from England that I could maybe see myself living there if I had to pick someplace just because there's a, like a, a darkness to the humor that I really relate to. Well, the only thing dry about London, I would say, is the humor. Uh, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the opposite exactly. of the California weather. Case in point, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have an ideal customer? Who's your ideal person who's wearing... ERL. Yeah, there's absolutely no uh, ERL person. If anything, there's an ERL family. When I started ERL, I really was creating stories in my head. And it's like when you write a film and you're doing the costumes for a film, it's like you're not just dressing the dad or the mom or the teenage son. You know, you're you have to dress every extra whole story. person in that world. You know, so um, the ERL person is is there is not one. It makes a lot of sense what you're saying. As Vogue credits, you know, you craft entire worlds for even the simplest garments and images, attaching yeah. stories to even mundane items. 
Vogue also says that ERL has the potential to turn on a new generation and to challenge mm-hmm. the old guard to rethink what fashion can mean. In fact, is there anything you'd like to challenge? I, I, I think I'm inadvertently like challenging things. I, I never set out to challenge <laughs> to challenge any system or challenge anyone. I think the act of creating something honest maybe it was a challenge to everyone. I feel like um, uh, there's so many rules and so many deadlines that you kind of lose sight of what even started some of these clothing lines or the missions or the, the art that people were set out to make. I think it's challenging for people who live in such a specific world to understand what I'm doing sometimes. And they're like, you know, who, buy, who, who wants to buy something dirty and old and used. But for me, like that's what's exciting because all the stuff I respond to are um, things that came from other people or hand-me-downs. I don't really shop. Like I don't really buy anything new. Um, I have like five things in my closet. I just wear the same things over and over again. I'm not really like any sort of luxury customer. Materialistic. Yeah. I mean, Kim Kim did say I have expensive taste, but I think (laughs) it's a separate conversation. Um, I mean, I guess I'm inherently materialistic being from Los Angeles, but I think I've had so many experiences that have almost made me allergic to that part of myself. And I've really fought the materialism. Do you enjoy being in the limelight? No, I actually like, I did a a lot of acting when I was younger and I feel like inherently you think that, Oh, if someone has a, (laughs) has a a clothing line and their name is literally the clothing line, there's something self-centered about it perhaps, but even using an acronym for my name, there was a sense of, not insecurity, but just a, a sense of hiding, not showing my full self. That is intriguing. A degree of separation. Yeah, that was ex- exciting for me. I'm not, this isn't really about me. I, I mean, I'm, I, that's why it was actually funny. Like I, I, I don't even really, I don't think people even know what I look like. So for Kim to ask me to walk down the, the runway with him at the end was a bit of a, a shock to the system, to say the least. But Did you get stage fright? No, no, I didn't get stage fright. I, I, I'm like, I'm pretty comfortable in my in myself. I just you looked very confident running down that walking down the runway. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, no, I'm confident. I just I, I wasn't seeking. It's not something I, I seek or strive for or think about really, to be honest. You certainly represent a new and extremely exciting wave of talent, and living proof that there is infinite creative overlap between the worlds of fashion, music, film art and design in our world today on that note thank you eli i'm so glad to catch you today for our conversation we look forward to following what you get up to next and thank you to those who tuned in please join us on dior common thread on apple podcast spotify or wherever it is you get your podcasts thank you for having me